Welcome to the Bioengineering Podcast. This podcast is currently intended to promote an increased transparency between current, future, and prospective bioengineering students and faculty. This podcast is not directly affiliated with the UC San Diego Department of Bioengineering. The following is a conversation with UC San Diego faculty member Dr. Daniela Valdez Hasso. So today we have um, Dr. Daniela Valdez Hasso here. Um, Dr. Valdez Hasso uh, did her PhD training and her undergraduate training at North Carolina State. Um, she did a postdoc, I think, yeah, it says here at the University of uh, Pittsburgh School of Medicine. Um, she made a pit stop at University of Illinois at Chicago um, before she came over to UCSD. And then today um, she runs the Valdez Hasso lab here at UCSD and her research lab aims are to understand the cardiovascular adaptations to pulmonary arterial hypertension. Um, her lab accomplishes this by incorporating experimental data from animals into mathematical models that quantify organ tissue and cellular function. So Dr. Valdez Hasso, thanks for being here today. And um, I will give you the floor to talk about sort of your journey to UCSD. Awesome, thank you. Thank you for, um, I guess, the opportunity to share a little bit about how we get here. Uh, not to be very mathematical, but uh, the path is very nonlinear. <laughs> uh, as you said, my uh, well, my undergraduate and graduate training was all in applied mathematics, and uh, from the perspective of developing models and the numerics behind developing the computa- computational models, and so even though my work was studying uh, vascular um, hemodynamics, the wall mix, actually more like the wall mechanics um, in the systemic arteries. It, my work was always done from either a piece of pen, oh, and a piece of paper and pen uh, and computers. So most of my graduate school, you probably saw, would have seen me coffee shops and uh, connecting directly to clusters to run my simulations that would run anywhere between an hour uh, in seven days. <laughs> so, um, but at the end of the year before I finished my PhD, I, and after taking a graduate level, a class on a phys- quantitative physiology, I realized that I was very disconnected from what it meant to do experiments and what it meant to, um, to a, through the, of the process of getting data. So, um, as a side note there, my models were actually used and validated with some physiological measurements, uh, hemodynamic measurements that were taken in the University of La República in Uruguay. And um, so I was able to work actually with biological data. Um, But again, problems from there were, were, or things that I didn't understand was, why my collaborators couldn't measure certain um, aspects of the arteries, why some assumptions, uh, was some, why was some data more noisy than others. And so um, I realized that if I wanted to be a, a modeler, a true modeler, which is what I was building myself to be, and I guess at the end of the day, I still consider myself more than mathematician or engineer or bioengineer, is that I'm a modeler. Mm-hmm. And 
So decided I wanted to do a postdoc where I could be uh, learning in experimental settings, um, learning how um, more about the physiology, more about the biology. And so I was able to join, well, I joined the uh, lab in the bioengineering department, slash through the Department of Cardiology at the University of Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And uh, there they were starting, they had a side project on studying the mechanical properties of the right ventricle. And uh, the lab mainly focused on studying pump a, a cardiac valves. But uh, so my project being different was also an opportunity for the lab to, to grow in a new direction. Um, but I guess without much uh, loss if it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I went there and I guess initially I thought that I was going to work with slash supervise a graduate student, uh, without realizing that my PI in mine, in his mind was, you know, you do all the work cause now you have a PhD. That means sure. you can teach yourself yeah. anything. Uh, and, uh, so I went from not knowing what a carcass was to actually harvesting hearts and doing running some mechanical testing. Um, again, I was trained as in mathematics and uh, maybe my upbringing also being Mexican, uh, we were not very big into do-it-yourself type projects. Sure. And so also concepts of like, how do you solder? Or how do you even use a, um, um, I guess any device except for maybe a Phillips uh, sure. screwdriver. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so I did learn uh, all those things uh, within a month that I started. I started my postdoc in mid-September, and my advisor said uh, that I had to submit a um, get enough data so that I can write a postdoctoral fellowship mm -hmm. uh, for the American Heart Association that was due at the end of February. Oh, sorry, yeah, January. Uh, so it was a pretty steep learning curve. Uh, learn from um, from other students, uh, basically by saying, "I'll help you run your experiments, just so you make sure that I don't mess it up and yeah. that I'm doing it right." And then the way I also could learn it. So I think that was really good strategy in hindsight, uh, and I guess it worked because everybody wants somebody else to do your job at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I did. Uh, succeeded in the techniques in planar biaxial testing in this case and testing this tissue um, and getting enough data to be able to submit this grant uh, fellowship which was very competitive and was awarded um, and so this basically gave me the leverage because my postdoc advisor then left to the University of Texas Austin and um, right as the time that I was trying to feel things were coming along sure. in the lab yeah. and so I decided I wanted to stay um, I had my own funding to support myself and then so then they gave me flexibility on m m modulating my my projects and so I basically continued to do mechanical testing I learned for the first time because I then officially a hundred percent moved to the cardiology department so I had to learn how to set up a lab there um, mm -hmm. and uh, 
and understand how the medical system in a way works. Uh, NIH was the big funding system and also a lot of vascular biology or the biology behind uh, these problems. So um, I also learned to do PCR and Western blots. And so I really got my hands dirty. So talking to cardiologists over there, I learned that uh, pulmonary arterial hypertension is, uh, even though it's identified through cardiac function, right ventricular function, it's really a disease of the lungs, right? And so, and how little we know about it and uh, all the need for it to study. So I decided then with the work that I had done as my postdoc in the right ventricle and my undergraduate studies in the systemic arteries mechanics to combine and set up my new lab that I started in University of Illinois, Chicago to study pulmonary hypertension as a multi-organ, multi-scale, so tissue mechanics, organ mechanics, um, and uh, really understand this interaction between them. So um, started my lab. Uh, it took about a year to get started, but we got started uh, for lab space. Lab space is always an issue. This is one thing you always huh. forget. <laughs> space in university. Yeah. Um, and uh, but uh, I had my group uh, start off the ground. It um, you know after many many hours being in the lab with my students, getting data. Um, we start picking up momentum at my sec third year over there, uh, and start going to conferences. Got invited to attend and give talks, and in one of them, actually, in one that took place in Israel, uh, people heard uh, my work, uh, learned about my work. They really liked it, and basically, they started uh, convincing me, asking me questions about my growth potential. Mm -hmm. Uh, at uh, UIC, my interests, and um, and convinced me to apply to the opening that they were having here at UCSD Bioengineering. Um, so, me having a job, me loving Chicago, yeah. I figured it doesn't hurt uh, applying to UCSD Bioengineering. Um, and uh, had a great time when I came to visit. I think I met a lot of the a faculty which I really enjoy meeting yeah. and um, and a few months actually well I arrived at the end of November of that year then so 20, 2017 so um, again after a year and a half I think it was until April 2019 uh -huh. that I had my lab <laughs> my lab <laughs> um, and uh, so in a way officially was my third time setting up a lab and yeah. uh, three different universities yeah. and um, but I think finally got it right by this time and uh, or easiest and yes here we are we uh, have a group of five PhD students uh, undergrads in high school students uh, they often work online only because of limitations of coming to campus yeah. and um, and yeah thank you for sharing um that was wonderful i have to i thought about a few questions along uh your description of your journey and so um it seems like 
your postdoc was a little bit different than your graduate studies. Is that true? And, oh, it was very different, and, yes. And um, is that something you wanted? I know when I talk to some faculty members, um, they sometimes will do a postdoc that's very in parallel with what their PhD thesis was about, and some will do a complete 180. So mm -hmm. what were you expecting initially going into your postdoc? So I was really... I, I did get what I was going for from my postdoc, which was really to understand um, the biology, uh, the cardiovascular medicine issues around it, and the um, uh, the experimentation part of it, the mechanics part of it. What I didn't know was how much it was also going to be opening, opening up to really, I guess, in a way, the field of bioengineering. Yeah. Um, after concluding my postdoc, I didn't see myself going back to math. I, I love math, and I wish I could teach some math classes here, uh, for instance, like to the undergrads. Yeah. But um, even though I never took an official, uh, any courses in engineering, yeah. studying, even up to now, <laughs> uh, and I'm not uh, teaching in them. Um, it just wasn't seem. It just didn't seem to be the right fit for my interests that were very broad, <clears throat> that I was able to develop, and um, as a in my postdoc. Sure. And then um, when your PI left for UT Austin, um, it was that what prompted you to leave eventually to go to to go to Chicago, or was, or was oh. that kind of no, I did. I did finish my postdoc, so I did a three-year postdoc. Okay. Um, so it was uh, long distance. So I still reported. I see. But I didn't work with him, but my everyday was in the medical school. Yeah. Uh, with uh, the copies of this initial project. I see. So I still, uh, the project in a way did not change. If anything, I just added more to it. I added yeah. more the uh, getting into the biology. Sure. Of it. Mm -hmm. And then last thing before we move on, just to double check here, you heard about the opportunity to come to UCSD at a conference in Israel. Yes. Wow. What a, what a um, crazy sequence there. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, you know, what a small world, I guess, at the same time. Um, so, yeah, this is a good transition um, to perhaps kind of the current state of, of the lab. And so I would like to ask, you know, do you feel like the work that is being done in the day-to-day -day in your lab right now at UCSD kind of mirrors or mimics what you did in your graduate studies or postdoc? And, and if so, you know, what do you think um, the future holds for what you, what you study and what your interests are? Uh, do you feel like you wish to stay in this field, deviate slightly, or not? Uh, I am in constant process of learning and transforming in a way. So um, in that area, uh, it sounds like a cliche, but the more you know, the less you realize you know. Yeah, um, sure. I've since coming to UCSD, I've been getting more into the cell, me cell mechanics, cell biology, and uh, systems biology. And so that's a whole new area for me. And I've learned it. Uh, through some colleagues and some collaborations on, on campus. And so for me, I'm still in the focus, my focus is still on home energy or hypertension. I'm yeah. still interested in that. The only, the difference is that I'm not tied to any tool 
or any technology specifically. So if they tell me that now I need, we need to work with cells, we learn how to work with cells. I see. Um, as long as everything goes into the idea of, is it going to answer a question that our previous data or observations or model told us that it will be. So um, the theme that it's throughout that you see is that we always combine experiments and uh, modeling. There's yes. no data that doesn't go through a model in my lab. I see. Um, and, uh, and the one thing it doesn't mirror from my training um, that I'm doing here is that I make sure that every student or every person that goes through my lab appreciates the complexity of data acquisition, the biology, and the modeling. Here we do not specialize in being computer or um, uh, modeler or experimentalist. We do both. Understood. So what I'm gathering here is that, you know, the umbrella of the lab is to study pulmonary arterial hypertension. And but then we can, seems like, branch out and study this phenomena in many different ways. Mm -hmm. And that's what the lab does. Yeah. So what are some, like, uh, some... I like to call them sort of million dollar questions, but maybe unexplained sort of circumstances that we experience in this field right now. Are there? Well, we don't know why it starts it. Yeah. It's actually what we call it idiopathic, which is the fancy medical term to say we don't know why. Yeah. Um, we can only, uh, the right ventricle is able to adapt to the changes in pressure overload from the vasculature. It's a muscle, and but there's a point where it doesn't. It's a point where it actually starts failing. And even though, and there's no cure. There's some yeah. treatments for ill therapies, sure. for alleviating some of the remodeling in the vasculature, but uh, still the cure relies on the transplantation of the lungs. And if done early enough, uh, they can save the right a heart function and only keep it to lung transplantation. Otherwise, it's a lung and heart transplantation. Um, so, it's a very um, it's a very aggressive disease. It's mainly affecting women. It's two to four times more prevalent in women than men. Um, Do we know why? Or no. Another unexplained sort of. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, it's been shown how it's more prevalent in, or the prognosis, or the, yeah, the outcomes of the disease are better handled or better for women that are premenopausal, the postmenopausal, and than men. Mm -hmm. So there's, um, there's, this disease really got recognized in 1980s, in the 1980s. Uh, but again, it's very aggressive. People thought initially they could just treat it, uh, the pulmonary circulation that could be treated similarly as what how you treat uh, systemic hypertension. Uh -huh. um, but those drugs did not work. Uh, and uh, so um, it is still, it's a lot. Uh, I, as I tell my students when this sounds pretty, um, maybe disheartening, is that it also tell them that it's a good job security um, <laughs> uh, because uh, fortunately, unfortunately, I think there's still a lot to be learned even from the 
from the circulation. So yeah, I didn't know that this condition, I guess, was um, first sort of established in the 80s. That's still relatively new mm -hmm. to sort of research and science as a whole. So I, I want, I'm glad your lab is uh, approaching this and it sounds really fantastic that we have a group here on campus that's looking at it. Um, circling back, uh, when you talk about computational modeling or just modeling in general, uh, what are just out of curiosity some softwares your students like to use to model? Um, they've gotten into Python. Okay. They're very, uh, they're starting to like it. I think most of the students come to the lab knowing MATLAB. Sure. Um, but it's usually um, Python. And is there any sort of finite element analysis modeling going on? or you We so do some. We do. Yeah. We've been building up. I like to build models bottom up. Sure. And we have been... Uh, we have a uh, one-dimensional fluid dynamics model that we run in MATLAB actually, and runs fine. Um, we have a one-dimensional biomechanics model of the heart of the right ventricle, um, and that we're now building it to 3D, which wow. then we are using finite elements. And so it's mixed between FEBio, Blender, yeah. um, because geometries are you obtained from uh, the image segmentation, that often means um, going through different softwares to segment data and then build the geometries and yeah. then attribute the finite elements. Is the image segmentation coming from real sort of models like uh, from rats? From rat, rat models, okay. So rats from animals yeah. that we do cardiac MRI or uh, diffusion tension. Uh, MR images. Gotcha. That's great. Um, I like to sort of end the last third of each episode with talking about maybe things unrelated to um, science and engineering, although this conversation has been fantastic. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we have the privilege of living in San Diego, and so I would just like to ask, you know, what do you like to do to enjoy life outside the lab if you wish to share any details? Yeah. Um, I came to San Diego not um, not happy that I was gonna have to be um, having to wear sunscreen every day uh, and or that uh, you have like a more of a healthy mental lifestyle sure. um, and or the long winters to hibernate and catch up on your shows or movies or books um, I've slowly ap have appreciated a lot a lot of people summarize it by just being sunny and good weather. I think it's more than that. And I like the idea of a walking by the beach yeah. year round. Yeah. And that's something I really like and helps me um, process ideas or get frustrations out or just simply enjoy uh, nature. Um, one thing I have liked a lot and appreciate this a lot with the university is um, I, even though I have incredible, uh, incredibly successful, high achieving colleagues, there is an underlying more relaxed uh, culture in people in San Diego mm -hmm. than in other parts of the country. Sure. Um, and that I think helps a lot to keep things um, healthier and more balanced. 
Um, so haven't gotten into surfing. I'm not <laughs> sure <laughs> how that's going to go. Yeah. Uh, I do like to go for hikes. And There's plenty uh, of that in areas. Yes. And, um, yes, I guess I continue like to read and uh, paint. Yeah, would you say um, relative to your lifestyle as a faculty member in living in Chicago versus now, it's a pretty, I would say, pretty drastic, safe to say, pretty drastic? Or, or uh, this is different, too. Uh, the, I mean, when I was in Chicago, I did travel a lot because... I felt like I was in the middle of, uh, in the belly button of the world. Like yeah. I could take an airplane to any place in the world yeah. and more likely direct flight. Sure. Uh, I felt very connected to the world because it was uh, very cosmopolitan and I could yeah. be going, walking for a couple blocks and be at the opera house or at the symphony yeah. and hear 20 languages within walking in three blocks of the road. Um, so, while here, I had to get used to the idea of always being three hours behind, uh, you know, what it's always considered the uh, the center, uh, the epicenter of things, right? Like New York or just mm-hmm. the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, but after realizing that I was never going to be able to fight that, because A, I'm not a morning person, oh, okay. and B, I, so I was never going to be online by six in the morning. Yeah. Um, I realized that it, it is kind. It is a nice thing to be so far away that I don't feel the need to have or that to take advantage of having to take a plane, direct plane, for something. Sure. Uh, so I'm definitely become more uh, less mobile in that sense, but it's been um, better or by my choice. And so I think I also have in a in an odd way slow down more. I see. In that sense, yeah. Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, and then lastly, um, we can you know, think about wrapping it up. And bef- before we wrap it up, I mean, do you have any sort of um, parting words to the audience that may be listening, you know, future perspective bioengineering students who may be interested in mathematical modeling or studying uh, pulmonary arterial hypertension? Do you have any you know, parting words for that audience? Uh, for me is just be, I guess you, I can probably tell you in a, in a nice, easy way to say what's exactly how maybe I got to this point and how to do it. Um, I think that the real thing that happened was that I was comfortable. I was always looking for opportunities. Uh, I gave them a shot. And I, and I was willing to go into an area or check something that looked hard, mm-hmm. but at least to try it and feel like I've tried it. And so um, I think that, you know, one of the things maybe that I would say from people studying or interested in bioengineering or even those who are successful at it is because they are curious. Mm-hmm. And they are willing to try different things, different methods, different techniques to maybe understand a particular um, system, a particular problem. Mm-hmm. So think if you're curious and uh, you're up for a challenge, you should definitely be checking out bioengineering. 
thank you. That, w that was a wonderful and, and concise way to sort of um, end, end this uh, talk. So once again, thank you so much for taking the time to be on here and, and, uh, and best of luck to you and, and in your lab. Thank you. Thank you.